A game of rugby takes 80 minutes. That's 4,800 seconds. But it only takes one to win a scrum, to steal a line out, make a break and score a try. One second for a hero to become a legend, for one team to become champions. And it's their line-out that creates the opportunities to score their tries, and that's exactly what happened. He goes wide, and he finds a winger. Oiderman, he's faster than a bald man's haircut. Oiderman, and he gets the try. What a heartbreaker. MLR Kickoff, episode 84, with your hosts, Dan Power and Pete Steinberg. Hey folks, welcome to this week's episode of MLR Kickoff. Dan Power with you alongside the professor, Pete Steinberg, as we come off the back of four big games on the weekend. And Pete, uh, you kick things off. You got your first game on the core. You and uh, Big Benny holding up there doing the Fox Sports game. How was uh, life back on the road for Pete Steinberg? It was uh, it was uh, it was tough because it was Easter weekend. Both you and I, Dan, we were both on the road, and neither of us realised it was Easter weekend and had to have that conversation with our families. But no, it was good. Loved loved working with Ben Holden, James Patterson, who was um, on the sideline down in Atlanta. It was great. But I'm gonna I'm gonna give. I don't know that this is the travel tip, the American Airlines travel tip, but it's the American Airlines insight into Dan and Pete. Okay, so. On Dan and I, like Dan flew out Friday. He had an early game. I flew out Saturday, but we flew back together to Denver on Sunday. Also with actually Brian Hightower. So Dan's partner in crime for his game. And, you know, all of us travel quite a bit. So, you know, Dan and I were up on row seven. So the first row of, of economy, economy plus on United. I was in 7D and Dan was in 7F. So there was a space in between us. And Brian was behind Dan in AF. Now you would think like three guys, like we're all friends, we get on. You would think that the guy in the middle between me and Dan in 7E, we would be like, hey, let's let's move. Brian, why don't you move up? Or me and Dan would swap with him. And it's like, no. So we the poor guy like sits down in between me and Dan. And Dan and I are literally having a conversation like right past him. <laughs> for like the first 15 minutes of the flight and then and then dan's like having a conversation with brian behind him and then guess what we all just like i didn't put my headphones on so i forgot them and everyone else put their headphones headphones on and started doing it but he, actually i have a, an american airlines tip of the week i don't know i don't know the american airlines would really want me to say it though so here's the tip so i flew back and you know it's i'm finding it quite challenging i got a young family to watch all the games so on the way back um, I watched the uh, um, Arrows DC game on my flight with the Wi-Fi. Now, you normally can't do that because they actually prevent you from streaming, right? Because they don't want you to use up all of the bandwidth. But if you've got a VPN on your iPad and you turn that on, you can stream. And that's what Locked. I did. Yep. 
breaking the wheel. I love it. Buddy. I am. I am. So I was, I mean, it's not the best quality, but I was able to, I mean, I've watched Six Nations games that way live, but it was great to be able to, you know, watch a game on the way back, especially as Dan didn't want to sit next to me and didn't want to talk to me on the way back. I didn't. Hey, but George Killebrew, you got a new fan, the guy in the middle of us. He's all about rugby now because we just <laughs> talked right across him. Well, for especially 20 minutes. while he was trying to sleep. That was, that was the Did you guys read the magazine? Because there's an M, there's like three MLR articles yeah, in there. It, we were on United. We weren't in American Airlines, oh, but there is boo. there's there's a great article. I'll actually post it on Twitter because you can get the American Airlines um, magazine online. So I'll post it on Twitter. There's a great rugby article. It's, I, I thought it was really well done. Um, some good pictures. They talked to Ben Foden. They talked to Sam Wuching. They talked talk to George Killebrew, and it talks about the league. So. Um, I don't know how many people will still pick up the magazines, but um, if someone does, they'll be uh, on, Amer- on an American Airlines flight. They'll definitely be uh, um, you know, reading about rugby. I, uh, I read the magazine when there's some uh, jerk using all the bandwidth on his VPN streaming rugby games <laughs> and my Wi-Fi doesn't work. So that's when I pick up the magazine. So there you go. I know. But, it, is, uh, it, is, it is a bit of a dick move. Well, Pete, uh, our, our bench tonight brought to you by shopmlr.com, powered by the rugby shop. I don't know if you've been on there lately, but uh, Giltini's have both jerseys up now. The black one looking very sharp. I like, yeah, the black one looks definitely looks sharp. Definitely looks sharp for the Giltini's. Yeah, it does. All right, let's go. Review of the weekend game. Like we said, just four games. Uh, I'm, let's, let's kick things off with your game, actually. Toronto? Uh No. You were San Diego, Atlanta. Yeah. You watched Toronto on the plane. You, you, yeah, that's right. No, we're not going to start with that because you're going to break it down. She did that game. Let's go with my game first. Utah 21, New England 22, one point ball game. It was never that close. So Utah scored the death to bring it back in uh, to a one point game. But uh, New England never really uh, were threatened to losing this game. Pete, uh, have you had a chance to catch up on this one? I have, and, and there's going to be a bit of a theme. And, and um, you know, I was on the, I, I was on Reddit arguing with someone um, about whether Toronto outclassed DC, which I don't think they outclassed. I think they were better than DC. And, and I started talking stats, and the guy's comment is, "Well, the ultimate stat is the score." And it made me think. Well, you know, there are actually some stats that are more important than others. So, um, and we're going to talk a little bit, and there's going to be a bit of a theme. Because the losing teams, right? A lot of the losing teams this past weekend had more possession and more territory. So I want to point out what's the important stats. This is a great game, right? Because Utah had 58% of the possession and 61% of the territory. You would read that and you would say, wow, they they were dominant. They made 92% of their tackles to 81% of New England. You're like, holy cow. But important stats, right? Important stats. Breakdown steals, right? New England had six breakdown steals. So they had more turnovers, which is a better opportunity to be able to um, to attack. Um, and let me, and um, I'm trying to look here. Uh, and then the other one was, um, Yeah, I can't find it now. I was looking at this before and I was like, there was another stat that told me something and now I can't find it. But it's the, the oh, this, here's the other stat, right? The other stat was um, New England got over the game line 62% of the time and Utah got over the game line 46% of the time, mm. right? So in other words, New England were able to generate go forward. And this is, this is about, so the amount of possession and the territory 
that you have can be an important stat, but only if you are if you're looking at the equal measures in other places. What we're really looking at here is that Utah had a lot of the ball. They had a lot of, a lot of opportunities, right? But it's about your ability to take the opportunities, and that's what New England did, right? And I think, Dan, if you looked at the last 20 minutes of that game, you would say, which is when, you know, because New England didn't, they scored right at the start, right, of the second half, and then didn't score again. Uh, kicked a penalty, but they scored a try right. two, three minutes into the second yeah. half. And the last the 20 minutes was all Utah not taking their opportunity. So, yes, it's a great game about efficiency, attacking efficiency, and about how more efficient New England was. Who were some of the stars that really, some of the players that really stood out for you in this game? One of the big things, and, and I'll get to the stars, but uh, Aston Fortane coming off after about 40 minutes affected Utah significantly. He's so good in the lineouts, not only on their throw, but right. on New England's throw. And he was pretty disruptive in the first 40 minutes. And you had a, you get the feeling with Utah still, they've got some great weapons and, and eventually they're going to click. We saw it with the chip over the top with Whippy uh, and then Mikey Teo to finish the game as well. Yeah. There's that individual brilliance. You think a guy like Fortane stays out there. I'm not sure what happened. We never got word. Um, you know, it could have been a different game, but I thought New England's defense was outstanding. I thought Joe Johnson uh, deserved his player of the match award. Uh, he was everywhere. Like literally anytime there was a red jersey running somewhere, number seven in a free jacks jersey was, was within arm's length. And exactly right. what you want from your seven. He was just an absolute pest everywhere. Uh, scored a try. You know, it was a short try, but it looked good effort to get over from there. He defended really well. Great to see Bodine Walker back as well at fullback. He looked a little... Um, little underdone with the knee injury. Like he just didn't look his usual self and it was pretty heavily taped, but I think he'll run himself into form here. He's just too classy a player not to run himself into form. Uh, Justin Johnson, I, I'm in love with that kid. Like we're, we're going to talk about man crushes. Look yeah. out because he could he could be catapulting himself to the Everest of, of the damn power man crush mountain. Um, I mean, there's quickly. a few people working their way up there and there's a few people that have been at the peak for a while. It's going to be some competition here. Yeah, some of, some of the old... You never forget your first, though, do you, Sam? Love you, buddy. <laughs> and then, um, you know, yeah, it, 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 was a, it was... The games have been very, very exciting and interesting to watch where I think... The on-field quality, I think coaches are still frustrated, right? Because they still feel like there's some mistakes that you shouldn't see in week three. But then you've kind of got to go, oh, we didn't have a preseason. Right. But, and then you take a breath and you're like, all right. As long as we're trending. What I'd be doing if I'm a fan of any team, I'm, I'm sorry to derail our review here, but um, I'd just be watching my team to see if are we correcting the errors we made last week? Right. And if the answer right. is yes, you're trending in the right direction. So... That's kind of probably a more important thing. Like you said, that guy said, hey, the score is the most important stat. He's got a point as long as it's a score on August 2nd on CBS. That's the score that's the most important right. stat because who cares if you win all the games and lose the championship? You know, And those stats that you talk about could have been uh, you know, the, the festering disease-ridden wound that was hiding underneath them winning games, but they yeah, weren't yeah, addressing absolutely. the real problem. So, absolutely. All right, Toronto. Oh, Toronto, you're back. Oh, my, my Canadian uh, friends, you're back. So, it, so that, again, let's look at some of the important stats, right? So DC, 57 possession, 53% um, territory, right? Dominant, right? Dominant in those two. Um, you know, uh, lot, um, 
Toronto make 169 tackles to DC's 84. I mean, that's nuts. Um, they're both at 80%, but it means that there's 41 missed tackles by Toronto. But the important stats are um, line breaks. So Toronto has eight line breaks and um, DC only has two. So despite all of that territory, all of that possession in particular, they only have two. And here's the uh, um, you know really interesting stat for me is that DC got over the game line 69% of the time. I mean, I mean, that's nuts. This is like, this is just, you know, this is a, a good performance. But what happened, Dan, is in the first 20 minutes, Toronto come out and actually start both halves really well. But in that first 20 minutes, they come out and they score 18 points. And then DC comes back. But again, it's that accuracy and that attention to detail that we saw with Utah and the Toronto defense. The Toronto defense was was really, really good. I mean, you look at like, you know, De La Vega, you know, 20, 21 tackles, one missed, right? Um, Andrew Quatrin, the hooker, tw- you know, 17 tackles, three missed. Lucas Rumble, 17 tackles, one missed. Like it's, it's, it's really like really, really crazy. Um, like how, how well Toronto defended, but this is my view is I think Toronto was the better team. I think they took their opportunities better, but you know, as I said, I don't think they were outclassed. I don't think they outclassed DC. No, and DC, I think uh, Jason Robinson for the second week in a row. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, he's a class player. They just look a little rudderless, don't they? Like a ship without a rudder. And they've still got great players and they play well. But uh, I thought this was one of the better games I've seen Taylor Adams play in a Toronto jersey as well. Yeah, and I think like it's um, what, Sam Malcolm that, they, that was last year's fly half. Is that his last year? He was fullback. So Taylor Adams came in last year. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And Malcolm moved back Malcolm, to fullback. Malcolm right? moved, moved, moved back to fullback. But I think losing the, that, you know, second playmaker, I think was, um, has, has been an issue. So, you know, those guys have been through a lot. I think, I think they should take a lot out of this. I think that, you know, they, they played in moments like the team that we saw last year, still not 80 minutes, but I thought, um, you know, you saw a little bit more from Lesage, uh, you know, um, Deanna, I thought was great at number eight. Had a, had a really good game. So you're seeing some of these guys um, really step up. All right, moving on. Uh, the Texas Cup, Houston, Austin. Austin get the win 26 to nothing over Houston. Pete, this is like, to me, I felt like watching this game, you've got two friends from different circles and one of them's single and lonely and they're 0-2, like let's say that. And then the other one had a win first off and then their girlfriend left them. And then the 0-2 one show up to a party with the other team's girlfriend. And you're like, you want to be happy for them because they've got a girlfriend. And you realize, oh, it's my other friend's ex-girlfriend. Well, I didn't know. I was torn watching this game because I really I, want I, both I hope, teams to be I, well. I hope some of the listeners followed that analogy better than I did. I, I got lost. All right. Two, no, two, no, 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 just, no, no. I got it. I got it. I definitely got it. Never, never say it again. <laughs> All right. What do you think of this one, mate? So, you know, Houston. 61% possession, 54% territory, right? 21 attacking minutes versus 13 attacking minutes for the Gilgronies. But it never felt that close, right? And so, you know, it. Um, and part of that is that the Gilgronies made 78% gain line. Wow. Gain line 78% of the time. I mean, Houston, I think, like, I think Houston had zero dominant tackles. Zero dominant tackles. So, when I look at this, Dan, what I look at is, 
you know, when I was a developing coach in, in the, you know, and all of my coaching has been in the US. I mean, I've lived here almost 30 years, right? So all of my coaching has been in the US. And when I was like a developing coach, I would hear coaches talk about, oh, it's about the details. But the reality is in the States for most rugby, it's not about the details. It's about who has the best players, mm-hmm. right? Like 80% of it, all rugby games outside of MLR in the States, we already know who's going to win before the game even kicks off, right? You just know. Yep. But in MLR, that's not the case. And, and what, I'm, what I'm seeing is, I think like when I look at Houston is I see a team that's really good, but isn't doing some of the details well. So like the reason you have zero dominant tackles is your footwork, right? Into contact, right? You're not actually putting yourself in a position where you can have a strong shoulder and you can make that hit. Now it, it you know, it's also a little bit that they're, they're a little bit more passive than the other teams. That's why there's, you know, higher um, gain line, but I don't think you can play that way. Right. So I think that there's footwork issues here. And I think that there's the ability and, and that footwork, you know, the detail that I look at as a coach is the contact point and whoever has better footwork between the attacker and defender wins and whoever wins d- determines what the next player is like. And I think there are some things like that, that Houston are just missing because they've got good players. They're not able to turn their possession and territory into um, points and they're not able to defend well enough. Right. And so it's, it's really about looking at those details and, you know, they tried something, right. They, they tried to move Sam Windsor to 12. I have a second pair, you know, second playmaker. And I think it worked, um, you know, and, you know, they're really struggling at scrum half, which I think is their big loss. Yeah. Vet Ruse will be back shortly. Uh, yeah. Well, Pete, let me ask you this. So let, let's, I'll be conservative here and say 70% of that roster has played high level rugby before they got to the saber catch you just don't forget your footwork on dominant tackles. Like these guys have come through great systems. I've just, I'm trying to figure out, like, do you just not use your feet anymore? And, and, and well, this is a really interesting thing, right? So I, 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 you know, I, I worked with a couple of MLR coaches sort of like as a bit of an informal advisor. And I spoke to one last year and we had this conversation, which is like, how many reps does it take to change someone's technique? Right. If you wanted to change the way someone tackled, or if you want to change this way someone passed, how many reps, Dan? How many reps do you think that is? A thousand? A thousand. Let's say it's a thousand, right? How many reps in do you get in a 20-minute drill, right, in practice of you actually doing it? Half a dozen to a dozen. Right, maybe 10, right? Mm-hmm. So that's 10. So you have to run that 20-minute drill 10 times. And, in the pro, in, in, and at the pro level, you're lucky if you run it once a week. Right. So the reality is you're not going to change people's technique. Right. But what you can change is you can change what they're focused on. So what you can do is you can get them to express the technique that they have because you've talked about it. Right. Because you have worked on it. So something like ball carrier work into context. I mean, I remember um, uh, um, John Mitchell, you know, have, uh, getting an opportunity just to work with him a little bit. And he, he was really big on footwork into contact for the ball carrier and getting square, right? And it wasn't these guys c- couldn't do it or hadn't done it before. It's just that if that's what the coaches talks about, that's what he looks for at practice. That's what you're going to take onto the field. And it can't be a lot of things. It's not 20 things, right? It's like two or three things. And so if you, if you focus on footwork into the contact as the tackler and you talk about it, and when you're running all of your games, that's what you're talking about, then players begin to do it. So it's not so much about teaching them a new technique as getting them to focus on a technique that they already can use. But if you don't talk about it, they don't do it. Okay. 
right? That's right. kind of how I think about it. All right, all right, all right. Time for the professor's breakdown. It was Atlanta rugby ATL at home, inflicting a uh, a damaging defeat on the San Diego Legion. Pete, you 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 did this one. I did this one. No one better to break this one down than the professor himself. So, um, first of all, I think this is the highest quality game that's been played in MLR this year. And there's two stats that I look up look at for high quality games. So. One is um, penalties. There were 17 total penalties in this game. Now, recognize that um, Atlanta came in averaging 18 and a half. Yeah, just themselves. Just themselves, Not in a game. Right? Yeah. right? So 17 penalties is good. And then the other one I look at is scrums, and there's 18 scrums. That's great. Right. And so... What was, what was ball in play? Do you have it? Sorry to put you on the spot. Yeah, no, I do have ball in play. Ball in play was 33 minutes. Well, that's really good. Yeah, it's really good, right? So this is a really high quality game. Like Ben, James, and I had a great time calling it because there was a lot. There was a lot of rugby, right? So, so you look and you say, all right, where did Atlanta win this game? And they they won it, I think, in in two spots, right? So first of all, they did it with their defense, right? We saw this against Nola last year, right? They have a very unusual defense. It's an umbrella defense, right? Um, and they had twelve dominant tackles. Mm. Right now, normally, like San Diego had three, like three or four dominant. They had 12. Not only did they have 12 dominant tackles, but they had 12 tackle assists. That's because they put they they want to put two players into the tackle. Right. And so San Diego didn't know what to do the same way. Nola, who was another very good team last year when they played Atlanta, wasn't sure what to do because these guys defend a very different way. They actually have defenders come from the outside in. To that yeah. tackle. No one else does that. Everyone else does inside out. So all of your attacking plays are designed to pin that inside player and hit the hole to the outside. But when you run it against Atlanta, it doesn't work. So the first thing is they 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 were really really good at um uh, at uh, like dominating that tackle and going forward. Right. So they did a really good job. And then you could see that they did a really good job because their ruck speed. Right. Um, and, and they were very good going forward. They, they actually got over the game line a lot. Their ruck speed, their fast rucks were 76% and the fast rucks for um, San Diego were only 54%. So they, they had a mm. big advantage at the speed of which they were playing on attack. So, so to me, that was like a big piece. And then the second piece that I thought was remarkable, and I'd like to talk a little bit more about this because I think it was a tactical or strategic choice that I think, that, I don't know that it caught San Diego out but I think that it, 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 was, it was a very smart move was that they played the territory game really well. So they only had 45% of possession, but they had 63% of the territory hmm. and they selected for it. So Talapusi, who had been their fullback for the first two games of the year, went to the bench. They put Van Voot, who has a huge left foot, right? And having a left foot and right foot to kick and makes a difference. And they completely dominated in the kicking game. And part of that is because San Diego in, in their back three, right? They had um, Iglesias, they had Toto Vassal and they had Dylan Audsley and none of them have a really strong kickers, right? And so I think that they really made some smart choices selection wise. And they said, we're gonna play a kicking game and we're gonna lead with our defense. And that's exactly what they did. And San Diego didn't have an answer. It was interesting at halftime, like James and I were both saying, San Diego need to hold on to the ball a little bit more. They need to 
like they shouldn't kick away and they did but then they just couldn't get out of their half yeah and that's 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 why it's such a great strategy if you haven't got a big kicker you've got a great defense you gotta run it out and it's not gonna work against a great defense. So. so so I think that like one of the interesting things about San Diego is that they've lost a lot of experience in the back line, right? They lost Maranonu, they lost JP Duplessis, and they've found themselves in a position where Dylan Audsley, who's a great player, I mean, this is a good player. He, he did some really good things. He, but interestingly, he had the most running meters, right? As a fullback, like most 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 running meters because there was such a kicking game. Um, but he's not he's not a tactical kicker, right? And yeah. so if you don't have the tactical kicker back there, you leave yourself open to being taken advantage by a team that is really trying to manage that way. Um, and, and the other thing I thought was really interesting is that, you know, um, Escura at 12 and Pets, sorry, Escura at 10 and Petsa at 12 worked mm-hmm. really, really well, right? They played the system. We talked a little bit with um, Scott Lawrence leading into the game. He's like, we really have to follow our system. And Escura, who... who has played a lot of fly half in sevens, but not much in um, 15s, I thought really played a good game. Yeah, and it's it's a huge difference, isn't it, between the, obviously sevens and 15s, but the role to fly half is more of a distributor in sevens and you've got a lot more options in 15s. You want to be able to run, pass, kick, you know, right. do a little bit of everything. Where, yeah, no, this this was a quality game. We, were, we, we conflicted a little bit with right. our games. I think we were finishing as you were starting. We got to watch a bit. I thought Jason Dam looked unbelievably good. Like exactly what you want from a guy coming off the bench. So I mean, made a difference immediately. Yeah. So and um, uh, Manasseh Saulo, the big Fijian. Yeah. The new new, like, new signing. Yep. That we totally forgot to talk be, about last week. Yeah. And, and and it's so so it's funny when we when we talked to Scott um, leading into the game, um, he said, you know, um, Manasseh turns up to practice and the very first scrum just completely destroys like the starting, the starting, <laughs> and, and he's like, he's like, uh, you know, and he said, you guys don't cheat. <laughs> and he goes, you guys need to cheat. But when you cheat, I'll just cheat in a different way. Right. Yeah. And it's like, he, but he's going to be, you know, as, as soon as he comes on, you, you, you're not going to win any, like he's one of those dominant, like we've always talked about this, like the Australian Paddy Ryan that came in, like he's going to be one of these guys that's going to come on for the last 25 minutes. That's just really going to, really going to dominate. I, I mean, I don't think that um, San Diego are as bad as Atlanta made them look, just like um, Nola weren't as bad in that game last year. Yeah. But they've definitely got some challenges. They've definitely got to work out. They need to vary their attacking platform a little bit. Um, but playing Atlanta exposes that. So hopefully they'll be able to, to fix that. They've still got a bunch of the, uh, um, you know, a bunch of the quality players there. So I think, I think they'll end up being good. Yeah, and they obviously big news today, Pete. They, they're going home, so they're going oh, back yeah, to San Diego. Right. Yeah, which yeah, that, yeah, I'm sure will help a lot too. Yeah, I mean, it it, it sounds like they've made the you know, they've made their best of a bad lot in sort of moving to um, to San Diego, but it can't be anything but just adding stress and not really letting you focus on what you need to focus on. No, and just even living in a space that's not yours. It's, right. You, you never get a chance to fully decompress. And anyway, all right, player of the week time. It was uh, it was a tough one this week. I know lots the, of quality the, players. Yeah, it was it was a tough selection, but uh, I think a word, worthy player was chosen in Mason Cook, the Austin Gilgronies hooker, who uh, punched in a hundred minutes on the game. So let's throw it now to our player of the week, Mason Cook. 
All right, we are joined now by Player of the Week for Week 3, Mason Cook from the Austin Gilgronies, the AGs as they're now uh, known as. Big Mace, uh, first, thanks for joining the show and congrats on a phenomenal performance on the weekend in the Texas Cup. Yeah, uh, thanks so much for having me. I'm super honoured. Um, definitely not hard to get up for the interstate competition, but uh, yeah, it was a great result over the weekend. We're really happy with it. Well, you're obviously a rookie. You were drafted by the Gilgronies. We'll talk about that experience a little bit later. But how was the week of the Texas Cup? Because, you know, it's only week three into your professional career. Did it have a little bit more intensity to it? Was Sam and Gerardo kind of a little bit more high strung this week? Uh, maybe a little bit. If they were, they hit it well. Um, yeah, I mean, it's definitely a big one for us. You know, I think kind of across the league, uh, kind of post-COVID era, we've seen some injuries accumulate and, and things like that happening faster. So I think everybody's a little bit under the pump and things are getting frantic, but um, we're finding guys and filling roles and building that chemistry. And it, you know, it feels really good even with that pressure. So, I'm, um, Mason, I want to go all the way back to the start of your rugby career. So you were a multi-sport athlete in high school. Can you talk to, talk to us a little bit about how you found rugby and then um, maybe how you continued rugby in Dartmouth. Sure. Um, okay. Just just in case people weren't videoing that, he rolled his eyes, which is sort of like everyone has asked. Have you, how many times have you been asked that question? Lots. Uh, quite a bit. I yeah. I was I was rolling my eyes in an attempt to kind of recall the whole story because it's oh okay okay a long good, one, good, but, good good save good um, save. <laughs> yeah, uh, I used to be a wrestler. I, I played football, I played baseball, I did a little bit of track here and there, kind of across the board. Um, then near the end of my sophomore in high school, I was 16, I decided to stop wrestling because I had been cutting weight pretty hard from football to wrestling to get to that, and this really wasn't working for me anymore. Uh, one of my football coaches happened to do some rugby coaching in the spring on the side and said, hey, why don't you come out? I was looking for something to replace it. Um, yeah, I hopped in and I stuck with it. It was it was awesome. It was a great fit for me. Um, and then over the, you know, the course of the next couple of years, I continued to play and school went pretty well for me. And I had the opportunity to go out to Dartmouth and um, continue that. Now, now was rugby a decision in your college choice? Cause Dartmouth has like one of the best established rugby programs, tremendous facilities, great coaching. Was that, I mean, obviously if you went, if you got to Dartmouth, you could probably go to lots of schools, right. But was rugby one of the choices that you, uh, that, that you considered? Yeah, rugby certainly played into it. Um, over the course of my visiting and kind of choosing process, I made my way to the clubhouse out there, which is a super nice facility, like you said. Um, and it was awesome to see all the resources I had there devoted to rugby and that culture stood out specifically. So um, I really want to be a part of it. Now, you know, MLR is in its fourth year. So you were in college when it started up. When it first started up, was it a goal of yours to be a professional rugby player? Was that something you were thinking about? Um, I'll tell you what, if you had asked me three or four years ago, at, at sort of the, the beginning stage of the MLR, I, I would have said no way. Like, mostly because I just didn't see myself kind of following that pathway. Um, uh, I was hoping to attend medical school after college, and that was kind of what I had my heart set on. And then... Um, yeah, the whole draft came along and that opportunity set itself up and um, I decided why not take a couple of years and, and give this a shot. 
Talk a little bit about your experience for the drafts. Like you went uh, second round. So it's, it, it was an interesting day. Like obviously being there, it was interesting enough, but I, you see the NFL draft and it's very, uh, it, it's very thorough. Let's just put it that way. How was it for you? Like, what were you doing? Who were you with? Did you have any idea that you were going to get drafted? Tell us about the moment. Did you get a phone call or what, what happens? Yeah, it was, so I was just with my family, um, just a close circle of friends. It was actually the day before my graduation from Dartmouth. Um, so it was a big weekend for me. Uh, we were just hanging around, around the computer. I, I had an inkling that I would maybe go. I had some calls from a few different teams. Um, I definitely wasn't sure about Austin. Um, and then, yeah, I got the call from, from Sammy and, uh, I, I was pretty shocked as I, I didn't even know what to say on that call. It was <laughs> in retrospect, pretty embarrassing I got it with a lot of, uh, a lot of laughs kind of into squad. I, I know Louie, a fellow drafted at Austin had a really similar experience. just not even knowing what to say. So, yeah, um, but it, I mean, it was an awesome spectacle. I think really good for the MLR as a whole, being able to put that out there and kind of inspire the uh, that whole college system to keep cracking out some good products. So, as a, as a young kid in Iowa, did you just ever did it ever enter your mind that one day Dan Power would read your name out, like the guy that you idolized, and you'd be drafted? <laughs> I tell you what, you tell four year old Mason that Dan Power is reading his name. I think he'd be pretty shocked. Yeah. Oh. I could only imagine, big man. All right, let's talk. Let's talk about your game on the weekend, Texas Cup. Uh, it's it's become quite a, sort of a, a, a rivalry within the rivalry. There, uh, I personally love it. Uh, there, there are other sports that have done it before and, and had these, you know, inter league rivalries that have turned into something more significant. How was the preparation coming into Houston? Uh, obviously, going zero and two to start, heartbreaker against Utah, and then couldn't get the job done. Uh, the, the week after there is in San Diego. Did you feel a little bit of extra pressure coming in 0-2 to this game? Uh, yeah, definitely. We were we were pretty desperate for a win. I think you know, looking back on the first two weeks, we had strung together some pretty good performances and, and it was unfortunately not executed in some key moments that would have um, maybe turned those games in our direction. Um, so I think that was the big focus for our week is uh, executing under pressure. Uh, putting ourselves in those positions where um, games on the line and simulating that at training um, just so that we were equipped for that going into the game. Um, and I think that really helped kind of across the board throughout the entirety of it, you know, coming out on the front foot and being able to execute when we had to. You know, I think it's interesting you talked about execution because if you look around the league, hookers, one of the positions where there's, there might be the fewest American qualified and definitely American born players because it's such a technical position and execution's hard. So I want to talk to you a little bit about the game this past weekend where you missed two lineouts in a row. And there was one looked like maybe it was your throw and one looked like a timing issue. Does that sound, is, is that right? Uh, that's probably, I mean, there's a lot of things that go into making a lineup successful. I won't play the blame game as somebody who's involved. <laughs> Yeah, we'll call that right for the purposes of right now. But but can you can you talk a little bit about sort of how coming into the professional era where your window, for instance, in a line out th throw is so small, they're almost always contested. The timing is always has to be perfect. How you mentally prepare to be a good line out thrower, and then also how you get yourself 
you know, you talked about execution being so important, missing those two line outs in a row, how you got yourself back on track. Yeah. Um, I, I think just the setup is really important. Um, now you want to be as consistent as possible with, you know, every single throw, no matter where it is in the lineout. Um, and that starts, you know, even before the lineout set up. Right. So, um, you know, approaching the line the same way, holding the ball the same way every time and just walking yourself through that process is really important. And it's also a great centering process for, you know, when you're really gassed and you have to throw a line under pressure um, when you're attacking either at your own line or near the opponent's line and you really need to hit this line out. So, um, and yeah, things are going to go wrong inevitably, um, whether it be timing or an errant throw, uh, <laughs> it definitely helps to come back to that process and resetting yourself every time. Um, you definitely need to have a quick memory and not think too hard um, and just get it back in. Trust your process. Um, things will work out. As Ted Lasso would say, be a goldfish. That's what he would say. Um, <laughs> which you have a nice uh, um, Ted Lasso moustache right there. I think you guys would 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 get on. So I have one more follow-up. So we talked about the, the line-out and obviously the other big important part is the scrum. And in the scrum, um, you're a little bit undersized, right? You're a little bit of like a pocket rocket, like short, stocky guy standing next to two absolute behemoths in Jamie McIntosh and Paddy Ryan. Um, first of all, what it's like, what is it like with playing with guys that have played international rugby, especially someone like Jamie McIntosh at the highest level? Like, how has that been, um, you know, what have you learned from them? And then, you know, how comfortable do you feel with two man mountains either side of you? I tell you what, first of all, I always feel very safe with those two guys next to me. <laughs> you're, like, you're like, hey, we're going to go out in Austin. I need you two guys to come with me. Like, as long That's as right. they're either side of me, I will always be safe. <laughs> I feel very safe in there. Um, it definitely, just just from a physiology standpoint, is technically a little bit challenging to figure out yep. that mining <laughs> process and getting everything figured out how we want, but... That's something and your locks pretty- must be what the heck because it's like they've, they've got <laughs> yeah. they can only really push with one shoulder which is what they should do anyway but yeah that's right but I, you know I, I think that's something we're continuing to build on and i think we have a pretty solid scrum that we can rely on um yeah uh just in terms of um what i've learned i guess um I, there's a ton like Wops and patty both uh bring a ton of knowledge from from their games um, we're adjusting every week and like learning new things, um, how to manipulate the opposition and sort of get people where we want and still kind of obey the laws of the game and being able to drive square and um, sort of dominate that scrum. I, I think that's, again, a part of our game we really want to rely on. And having those guys as leaders um, in that set piece is really huge for our team. Well, for, firstly, Mace, let me just apologize for Pete. You're a guest on our show and he's here. Can't make a line out throw. You're the world's smallest hooker. How's it feel being tiny? <laughs> um, so apologies as our guest and player of the week scored two tries didn't miss a tackle we could have talked about those you know Mace right we could have talked about those things but that's right let's have some fun and uh, let's play a little bit of uh, the superlative game talking about some of your teammates and some of the opposition uh, first thing though about the lineout thing I know you said you didn't want to blame anyone but if you were to blame someone uh, why would you blame Seb De Chavez like you said before you went live on the show for missing that uh, no, no comment. <laughs> I, I'm I'm gonna stay apolitical on that one. Um, uh, Seb pulls a lot of strings on the team. I think if I um, <laughs> if I out right now, it might bite me in a couple of weeks. So yeah, you never go after the guy who lifts the trophy after the game. You always leave them alone. That's a, <laughs> that's a good that's a good indication. All right, what has been your favorite Austinism? It, Austin's a, a 
city that's known for being weird and let's keep Austin weird. You grew up in Iowa, went to school in Dartmouth. What's been your favorite Austinism so far living down there in Austin? Either Austinism. Um, you can't forget Gilgroniac. That's not necessarily an Austinism specific, but I think that's a growing term that we need to make more popular. Get that yeah. off. Yeah. I wonder where and, that um, started. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hey, hey, Mason, Dan has no pull in MLR. You don't have to suck up to him. Really <laughs> this show is the limit of my power with Mason. <laughs> so you're just, you're good. I'll take it where I can get it. Um, yeah. Uh, I, I like to call the city. I, I think it's a good cross healthy cross between hippies and cowboys like i think we have that really strong like um weird culture like you said and we thrive on that but it's still got that heart of texas feel i think that's huge um going down to places like um like zilka park and ladybird lake with the boys and just kind of being able to hang out and see that crowd um the people of austin are really good-hearted and um they live how they want to live and i think that's really cool all right we had uh we had mason uh Pedersen on the show and we talked about golf so I'm not going to do that because that was actually one of the funniest clips I've seen put out in the offseason when he said Michael DeWall and then we had uh, the uh, what's uh, Zach Galifianakis out of uh, Dinner for Schmucks yeah, laughing Dodson. so oh, was, it, was it Dodson Dobson it was oh, Dodson. He, he made that yeah Dodson was quite insulted by by Mason's remark yeah until <laughs> guy doesn't play golf. so we'll stay away from golf your other love growing up, obviously you played football, but I want to go back to the wrestling. Who would the top three wrestlers be and then the top three wrestlers be? So you got to do a little Stone Cold wrestling and then a little, you know, uh, Jordan Burroughs wrestling. So give us your top three for both. Uh, just as an influence on me? No, no, no. no. Like who in do you your, think, in your who team? Do you think would be the top oh, within three our wrestlers team. Yeah, yeah, who, on your team? Who's the Gilbroniac? And then who's just like the actual yeah, fair enough. We'll, we'll start with we'll start with we'll start with playing wrestling. I think that's um, maybe the more obvious answer. Um, I, Sid Shoop, um, young yeah. guy, wrestling history himself, pretty solid wrestler. Um, Cam Dodson actually has a little bit of an MMA background. Um, does a little bit of wrestling on the side. I, I think he's pretty solid. He's long. He's I was going to say, it's a tall guy. You get a low double leg. He's not going anywhere. A single leg. Yeah, but in trouble. he keeps it at range. He's, he's got, yeah. he's got long in there. Um, and that, that Rod Waters actually very explosive. Yeah. He's yeah. A very good wrestler. Yep. Wrestlers. Um, I think you got to go with the WAPA for one. Um, just <laughs> being a great showman and a big guy. Um, having a good intimidation factor. I, I think he definitely runs the show. Um, let's see. Bryce Campbell, Captain yeah. America, as we call him. Yep. Yep. Uh, skipper of the team. I think, uh, again, he brings that sort of John Cena-esque attitude, the ex-military guy. I think that's a, that's a good uh, that's a good show from him. For the last guy, I think, uh, maybe Sunshine, Connor Mooneyham. Um yeah, all American but kid. I think he's, he's a bit of a bit of an underdog in that department, but um, again, I think he loves the show. I, and I, I think feel like Con yeah, Connor's narrative is he's going to be the all American guy, but then he's going to turn. Yes, I was going to yeah. say the same thing. Yeah. I see a good turn in Connor. Like yeah, everyone's he, like, because you never see it coming. Become, right, become the heel. Yeah, I like that. Good work, Pete. 
All right, here's one for you. You've only got three games to go by here. So usually we'll ask, you know, who's who's the player that you've played against that's hits the hardest or, or has been the dip, most difficult to tackle. Um, if you've got someone out of that three-game sample, let us know. Or if there's someone in the league that you kind of, I won't say not looking forward to playing, but you're, you're excited for the challenge of like who out there in the league you're like, oh, that's, that's going to be a big challenge to stop that guy. Or who's been the diff- most difficult in your first three games? Um. Let's see, Sal Mooching's a pretty, pretty athletic guy, pretty strong guy. Yeah, um, I've heard, I've heard he's deceptively three. strong, which is crazy because he's big, and you think, oh, he's yeah. going to be strong, but it's like on another level strong. I think pretty obvious answer there. A guy that I'm interested in attempting to tackle, just because of sort of our history and the power dynamic there, is uh, Nate Brakely. Oh, the Dartmouth alums going up against each other. I just. I've never had the opportunity to tackle him at any of the Dartmouth events. And uh, he's a big fella. I got some true truck legs. Um, looking forward to taking a shot, but I'm not sure how it'll go. I just <laughs> love the, I love the, the, the mind games too, before you guys are doing the physics of like, if his velocity is uh, 7.2 meters per second and I weigh this much weight, I don't, and you'll be like, yep, calculate, bang. And then there'll be the collision. Jolly good. Jolly good. About it. Couple of Dartmouth. Ivy League guys playing rugby. How good is that? All right, Pete, you got any for him? You've always, you're always good for a solid one, Pete. Yeah, well, I always like the one on, you know, on your team. Uh, you know, they've canceled all the flights. You've got to drive to San Diego to play San Diego. Um, who, who do you want in your car for that, like, day and a half road trip and, and from your team? And who do you not want in the car and why? Yeah, that's tough. Um, let's see. I'm definitely going to want a good co-pilot, somebody that really brings the tunes yep. um, and somebody that's a reliable navigator. I think it's really important. Um, so first guy for me off the top of my head is actually Cam Dodson. Um, I, great taste in music, keeps the party going. Um, and I also, I actually live with a guy, so whatever we need to get somewhere. He's screwed himself. It's always good. Um, not to choose the guy you live with as the guy that you don't want to do the road trip with. But exactly. uh, so, so who's the guy that you don't want to do the road trip with? And what? Uh, the guy that I would probably avoid. Um, this is more of a logistics thing, I guess. It's probably Patty Ryan. Um, just because I think he, by sheer size, he's going to take up a huge chunk of the vehicle. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and maybe kind of ruin that fuel efficiency. Oh, uh, yep. there you go. I think that's like, we're going all the way to San Diego. We might as well save a buck or two. Keep it light. And, you know, Pete has a great story. You never want to travel with your whole front row in the one car in case something happens to that car. You that's turn right. up without a front row. So you, Whopper, and Patty have to be in three separate cars. So technically, you're not bad-mouthing Patty. You're just being smart here. Exactly. This is purely logistical. That's right. Yeah. Nothing to do with the guy. I like it. I like it. What about Bill the Drill? I he- I think he'd be a pretty good pickup. I'd love to have him in my car. Well, yeah. that was a good save. Like, hasn't been named bef- before one of one of Dan's bromances, and just yeah. immediately is like, "Oh yeah, definitely, let's pick him up. He'd be a good pickup." Good. It's save. in my it's in my contract that uh, I sign with him. It, uh, I have to mention his name at least once a week. All right, Mace. I appreciate you jumping on again. Congratulations on a great performance. Uh, two tries, no missed tackles, uh, a really strong shift. Eighty minutes for the Gilgronies in that win in the Texas Cup. 
You go to New Orleans this week to face Nola down there at the Goldmine. That'll be a huge test. They're looking really good early in the season. So good luck with that one. Good luck with the rest of the season. Hopefully not the last time we get to catch up, brother. Yeah, thanks so much. Look forward to talking again. All right, there you go. The AGs, they finally get a win. Um, I'm trying to think if there's... Is there Toronto one? The AGs one? Everyone's had a win now, right? I think so. Everyone has a win. Seattle haven't. Seattle haven't. Oh, sorry, Seattle. Yeah. A little bit of salt. This week, come on, Seawolves. You've got it this week. We're going to get a win. I think Uh, think it's interesting how tight the East is and how the West is looking like there might be some separation. Yeah, but we're three weeks in. Yeah, you, go yeah, on a, yeah. you go on a three-game winning streak and all of a sudden yeah, you're like, that's boom, true. at the top that's of the true. table. So, uh, Professor's Tactic time. Let's talk the seven-point try. I'm actually interested to hear the Professor's Tactics on this one because uh, the, the, the modifications of the rules have been um, mixed in terms of fans' reactions. Um, I'd be interested to hear some of the players' reactions to them as well within the first three weeks. So, Dig in, Pete. Seven yeah, point so try. first of all, let, let's explain what, what, what the new law interpretation is. So if, if a try is scored, um, when you put the ball down between um, in the try zone between the posts, it's an automatic seven points, right? So And the person who scores the try gets the seven points, right? So the kicker doesn't get a chance to get their two points. So automatic seven points. So I don't think there's a huge difference in terms of tactics that's going on here and sort of like where people score. But, you know, um, I had a chance to talk with um, Zach Tess from San Diego and he brought up something which I thought was really interesting is that normally when a try is scored against you, you get a chance to take a breath, right? The, The water guys run out, you circle up, you're able to get a message on from the coach and people can reset. And they can say, okay, we, you know, something happened. Let's not let that happen again. Let's not ha- let them have a, have a, a try scoring it. But when someone scores between the posts, you don't get a chance to get that reset. So one of the interesting things is, and I think, you know, and, and one of the, um, you know, sort of lack of preseason outcomes that I've seen is how poor kickoffs have been received. I mean, that like lots of kickoffs are dropped. There's huge momentum changes. But actually, you would think that with the seven-point try, right, the scoring team should have the advantage because the defending team doesn't have a chance to, like, gather themselves and reset. Mm-hmm. So I think that's the thing in the seven-point try that I think is can, really Can they, though? No, no. I mean, it's just straight up for the kickoff. We saw this a little bit, Dan, with the penalty try when the penalty try went to seven points last year, and we saw teams circling up under the posts, and the referee was like, no, no, there's no circling up, there's no kick, let's go, and it's just a kickoff. So, ah, okay. so, so it is enforced. I just wasn't sure because it's, obviously it's new and you, you don't, it's like from a TV point of view and there's a penalty try, usually you're like bang on the replay. You want to see why there's a penalty try right. and we don't actually see what's actually happening. So I'm just curious as to whether, because I mean, I think teams will try and do it, but I don't think you're going to have time. Yeah. Right. I mean, I think that, I think, and you know, the other thing in, in our game as well, Dan, is we have fewer, fewer opportunities for replays. Mm-hmm. Right. So it, there's there's a seven point try. We get one replay and there should be a kickoff. And that's sort of one of the reasons for doing it is to create more ball in play, create a more exciting game when, you know, the kick is a relative gimme. Let's not talk about Robbie Petzer in week one. It's a yeah. relative gimme. Right? Stealing your TV time, though, Pete. Not happy. That's right. That's your that's time right. to shine, man. When they've got the replays on, it's when you do your best work. 
Even yeah. I understand yeah. the game when you start going into oh, those. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm not sure, but maybe, maybe you do. Bit. All right, let's look forward to week four. Uh, it's, it's a big week. We're back to a, a large amount of games this week. So let's kick things off Saturday, 1.30 Eastern. This one is actually going to be down in New Orleans now. So it got shifted. It's going to be LA against Toronto, double header at the gold mine, which is uh, pretty cool. I mean, we've seen like magic weekends in other sports. So I think one day I, we, we tried the Vegas thing last year, but I think we, we should trend towards doing it at one of the team's home stadiums, which would be kind of right. cool. And, and I think New Orleans is one of the fields that can do it. They have the facilities to do it. So LA, Toronto, that one will be on Bally Sports West. Actually, it's on Fox Sports West out there. I think the Bally Sports thing's dead. I think it's on Fox Sports West now. There was some changes. TSN up in Canada oh, and then wow. Rugby Bally Market. Bally Sports is the new name. It, it is. I thought it rebranded again because I saw a, a logo originally for Bally, then it went back to Fox Sports West. And I thought LA had been putting up Fox Sports West. Since, yeah, they uh, changed one. the whole MLR schedule to say Bally. Okay. Then listen, listen, listen to the man. Don't listen to me. Listen to Mr. Strobro. All right. Next game up, 4.30 Eastern. Austin at NOLA, the second game in the double header. Uh, that one is on uh, Cox Sports, KVBO in Austin, and the rugby network everywhere else. All right. First national game of the weekend is 8 p.m. Saturday night. It's San Diego at Houston. I think, Pete, you call this it's uh, their get square game or bounce back game. Uh, it might have been Aaron, actually. But, yeah, it, uh, unfortunately for Houston fans, that's kind of what it's being viewed at right now. This one's on Fox Sports 2. And then the late game at Utah is going to be the Seawolves and the Warriors, 9 p.m. Eastern on Root Sports in the Pacific Northwest, KSL TV, in uh, Utah and TRN for the rest of us. One game on Sunday. It's CBS Sports Game of the Week. It's uh, New York taking on ATL. Power matchup of the week time. We still don't have uh, a soundbite. We're going to get one. We're finding it somewhere. Uh, what is your power matchup of the week, Pete? So my power matchup of the week is actually in the first game of the weekend, LA against Toronto. And it is Christian Poitiman. Um, against Lucas Rumble, the two number sevens going against each other. I actually, you know, did a little bit of analysis for the all MLR All Access on Fox Sports. Um, just uh, um, they, they had a little little clip of me, but I actually looked and said, right, how does Toronto slow down the LA attack? Right, that's 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 really the 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 question, and I think it's really about whether Lucas Rumble can get some dominance at that tackle contest. He's by, I think he has eight breakdown steals. He's got more breakdown steals than anyone else. Um, he can slow the ball down. Um, he's good enough to be able to get out and, and provide that extra width so the backs can break down, but it's really going to be sort of point of him that's going to be there to be able to, if he can get there first and he can generate that fast ball from that first rock, I think it's going to be very, very hard for Toronto to slow down that attack. Yeah. My power matchup of the week is four teams versus the bye. This is the first buy we've had of the year, and we're going to see if there's a trend of teams bouncing back off the buy, whether it's positive or negative. So, LA, NOLA, Seattle. Hold it, hold it. Your, your power matchup is a team against the bye week? Yeah, because we don't know how. It's been funny because sometimes we've seen the buy in the previous three years be a positive thing, other times You a can thing. lose against buy team. It's, it's, it's proven. Yeah. <laughs> 
It's proven, Pete. Stop ruining with my matchup, my branded matchup of the week. Fine, fine. Blow my candles out so you're a shine bright. Are you? Well, I'm on Fox Sports 2, my MLR or access segment. Professor. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's it. All right, let's bring Stat Boy in now for our pick em update on how we're doing. Uh, um, I, I did take a peek Monday and I'm pretty happy with this segment. All three of us uh, are doing decent. Uh, my first week was so bad that it just like set me like pretty bad, but I'm clawing my way out. Um, gorgeous Dan, do, wait, do we want the good news or the good news? Oh, it's just all good, baby. Feed me. Well, I'll, 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 uh, so so the professor, he, he climbed up, you know, a few spots, but gorgeous Dan went from eighth to fourth. Bronze medals just around the corner. You know, I think there's, there's still a chance for people to join us and they could still win. They'll I added two people last week. Yeah, yeah. So if I wouldn't say win, but they could definitely catch you, you and Aaron. Can we, can we put the link in the show notes, Aaron? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Let's 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 put the link in the show notes so people can join up because, uh, like, the more that we can put pressure on Gorgeous Dan, the better off we'll be. Yes, and uh, get into the comments section too on on Super Brew. It's just me and Tex having a conversation at the moment, just going back and forth. But, I uh, didn't know there was a comment. I didn't even know there was a comment. Uh, yeah, top right, top right in your phone. There's a little speech bubble. Click on it, and uh, me and Tex have been talking. For I will say, um, after you know the last two seasons where, uh, well, we we put a pause on last year, but after 2019, Dan's been uh, he's been champing at the bit to rub it in um, the Professor's face. And he is running away in the uh, the two person pick'em that is on MLR kickoff. So, eat it, Pete. Eat it. All right, let's get into this week's I, game. I'd like to point out that my downfall started when Dan started calling me the professor, and I'm wondering how much that's. <laughs> yeah. See, you got comfortable. You're like, maybe, maybe I am a professor. Maybe I'm the. Yeah, no, that's right. That's right. Maybe I'm a professor, which means I can't actually practically do anything. But I can talk about it really. Yeah, that probably actually, yeah, that's that's I tell you, if you get a lab coat and some beakers in the background, beakers play the stereotype and everything. Let's take our pick. Just fine. Let's take our pick. LA, uh, LA at well, LA at Toronto at NOLA. All right. Right. Jump in. Um, What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think think this is LA. I think that as long as LA stay healthy, it's going to be hard for anyone. I think Toronto have a chance to play with them. I don't think the Toronto team can live with the attack, and I don't think their attack yet is clicking on all cylinders. Um, I think this is LA like 35-26. Yeah, I, I'm not picking against LA. Not not like until you said, until there's some... Uh, until until they have- Ditto, like I think Ditto's the key. Like one of the things that that I didn't put into the all-access all work. But, like, if I'm Toronto, I put Ghetto on the ground as much as I can. Like, I run at yeah. him, I make him tackle. Like, and, and you know, it's not that he's, you know, I mean, he's, he's older, right? So that that's going to be harder. This, but this, this, is, this is their first road trip too, Pete. So this is, like, going to be a test for those guys who have, like, obviously over 100 caps. So they've traveled, but they've traveled quite well. Like, traveling with the yeah. Wallabies – is one thing, but traveling in the MLR is, is a different experience. I mean, I wish so I think, yeah. we could have done year one with you and I going to Boomtown and seeing how they perform the next day after the casino lights just flashing <laughs> on your window until five in the morning. Um, but yeah, it's it's LA. What would you say the score is going to be? I said I, I, it's thirty five twenty six. Yeah, I think this will be the toughest game they've played in the in the opening four weeks. But I don't see 
Toronto having the strike power to go tit for tat with them. So I'll go LA as well. I'll go uh, 40, 42-19. There you go. All right. Uh, second game down there at the gold mine. It's the home side. Nola taking on Austin. Austin come off that win. Houston, Nola off the bye. Ah, this is a tough one. This is a tough one because I think Austin's a good team. Like I know that, you know, they have a history of not being very good, but even though, you know, I mean, they won last week against Houston, but even in the games, like even in the game. So so something that is important in three games, they are the number one ranked defense. Austin is. Austin is? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's interesting. Thank you, stat boy that little nugget normally normally he would chime in after i've done my <laughs> that's what i do to you not yeah, him. Aaron's, aaron's a good guy i'm the one who's sneaky about that stuff with you uh, so who, oh, i've got to go first actually because you went yeah. first last time ah uh, it's hard to pick against nola at home isn't it and they uh they'd look good they'd look good um I'll pick an upset here. I'll go. I'll go Austin on the road. I just, of course you are. Like like everyone knows you were going to go Austin. I knew it. On the road. Strobro knew it. All the listeners knew it. Everyone knew it. But it's, it's, it's. I mean, it's a strong pick, Dan. I think that's a strong pick. I'm going to go with Nola. What's your score? I think this is going to be a tight game. Like best defense in the league. I don't know if you knew that, but Austin have the best defense in the league. I love my stats. Uh, so I'll, I think it'll be tied. I think it'll be tied. Twenty-two seventeen to Austin. My my guess is that ranking is based on points scored. I would guess against them. Yeah. Yeah. So so I'm uh, you know well, there's lots of reasons, right? Ball in play could be a reason for that. But I mean, look, Austin have a very good defense. Um, I think Nola coming off the break. I think they. I think some of this depends on who's going to play scrum half. Yep. Right. But I I, I picked against nola when they didn't pick the scrum off i wanted so um but i think i think i'm gonna go with nola i think the break not having to travel i think austin big win in the texas cup sometimes hard to get up for again after a big emotional win um i'm gonna go with nola i think nola's gonna win um 32 19 all right uh san diego houston this one out of viva stadium on saturday night Legion, uh, both one and two, right? Yeah, I think so. Both yep. one and two. Um, you're up on this one. I mean, I'm, I'm going to go with San Diego. I mean, I think Houston now, like, I think when uh, um, when when they can bring in their starting scrum half, the Vet Roos, right? Um, mm. I think I think that, that will help Houston, but I don't think that's this weekend. Um I think San Diego are going to bounce back. I think, you know, like I said, I think Atlanta made them look worse than they are. I think San Diego wins this one. Like, it's just hard to see Houston scoring any points. You know, what's it going to be? I mean, it's, I think San Diego wins this like 28-10. Can I tell you something real quick? Or oh, you just yeah. made your pick. Sorry. That's okay. Rob Go for Shaw. it. No, no, Chris no. Robshaw. He's playing this weekend. Well, I picked San Diego, right? So. I, know. I know. That's why I did it. It didn't matter. Uh, you were still, what I love is you were holding it back, though. You were still holding it back. I know. Yeah. I know. Just as a joke, obviously, because it didn't go against your pick. Uh, right. Yeah, I, I think Chris Robshaw helps. Like you said, there, there's some talented players in San Diego just not clicking. I think the happiest person in San Diego is going to be Joe Peterson to see Chris Robshaw come in and just kind of steady the ship and just going to be and, an experienced player out Jeff, there. Just I know. Josh Furno's back, which is going to really help them with their line I out. Don't know if he'll clear COVID protocols in time. Though. Oh, that's right. Yeah, okay. That'll be the big question on that. But rosters will be out. 
on Thursday. So we'll get to see that. And I'm sure changes to the picks on right. the Super Brew. But anyway, uh, yeah, I'll go the same thing. San Diego down there. It pains me to say it because I really want Houston to do well. But uh, we'll go. Um, you think they get shut out again? No, I gave him 10 points. I'm not sure where the 10 points nice. come from, but I gave it to him. Try, try and a penalty, I guess. Um, yeah, I think it'll be 37-12. Okay. I think they'll, they'll jag a couple of late ones there. All right, uh, Seattle at Utah. Now, this is a big game. Seattle, need they need this so bad, Pete. Uh, I'm up first, so i got to think about this one. Now some new signings, obviously. We'll talk about... Uh, Akahito Yamada in a little bit, but I don't. Obviously, he's not going to clear protocol in time for this game. Hmm. I wonder how beat up Utah are from playing on the road out there in Boston. This one, this one could be a roster decision in terms of who's actually healthy. And, you think? And, yeah. You think? I mean, I do. I do. I do. And it, I, I mean, you know, still... Utah have looked good, even even against the Free Jacks. You like, you could see that they're. You know, Sean Pittman's doing a great job there. They've, they've got a system that they're playing. Like, Shorty didn't yeah. have a great game, but if he's a little bit better, he probably wins that game. Especially at like, home, like I, I get, I get they scored at the end to make it 22-21, but in that last 20 minutes, they had three or four chances to score. At least three or four. Like. Yeah. And so, and, and so this is a team that didn't quite click in the last play, but actually had more than enough opportunities to win. And so, you know, it's, it's interesting. Utah's playing well. Seattle's not. It's going to be interesting to see how Seattle use their offseason. Yeah. Does the seawall rise? Ooh. Oh. Feels like the sequel to like a movie or something that Arnold Schwarzenegger should be in. Um, I'll tell you though, just to get onto another one, like the, the scars of Warriors Pass still still hurt, Pete. I just don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Can you go ahead I, and just pick this? Yeah, I'll go the Warriors at home. I think elevation will help them too. Seattle yeah. coming up to elevation. That's always a tough one. Great kicking game. Um, Warriors at home, uh, 28-23. They'll squeak one out. So um, I think it's Warriors at home. Um, I think it's 32-15. I don't think it's going to be that close. Yeah. So unfortunately. Ooh, sorry, Seattle fans. Yeah. Hopefully sunnier days ahead up there. Uh, if not figuratively, uh <laughs> literally hopefully in seattle it gets nice there soon but all right last one uh game of the week on cbs sports new york coming off the bye at rugby atl who had the professor's stamp of approval as the best performance in mlr in 2021 so, yeah and, and this is a this is actually a hard one for me because i've underestimated new york this year and um, i think that they remind me a little bit of the seattle of the first two years like some really experienced players that yeah. have MLR experience, maybe don't play their best, but are mentally tough and can grind out wins, right? They've got some a good set piece. They've got a great scrum half that can marshal stuff. I mean, I just think I, it's, 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 it's a tough one. I think Atlanta played really, really well. I think maybe they've found their 10 in Esgura, who was signed by Grenoble for next year. Yeah, right, just signed up. So obviously, like a like a top top player, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see if Atlanta changes their strategy against New York because Ben Foden is a good kicking fullback. Like he yeah. has a good boot, right? Um, I mean, I think it's Atlanta, but I think this is a tough grind out game. I think New York could pull it off, but I think this is like Atlanta twenty two twenty. Whoa, that is tight. 
Yeah, I think it's tough and close. I think it's almost a coin toss. Yeah, I'm calling this one, so I get to uh, plead the fifth. Not going to make my pick. So, but I do agree. This this will yeah. be a good game. It could be a good game. Hopefully, it's a good game for you and Brian. Yeah, the the East is like you said, very congested. Like, yeah. uh, if you can get on a couple of game winning streak, you boom, you're right there. Yeah, it might table. set you for the rest of the season. I think that's right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then because playing catch up on the East could be really difficult. So. Yeah. All right, let's uh, jump into some signings now. We mentioned Seattle, uh, Akihito Yamada, Japanese international player, uh, good outside back. So plays a lot of his rugby on the wing, international rugby on the wing. So, And they also picked up Hula Holo uh, Mongoloa, who Utah Warrior fans will remember too. So front rower getting up front. Pedro mentioned San Diego, Josh Ferno returns. Uh, welcome return as well to the lineout for them. That'll be great for their set piece. Uh, he's, he's great ball in hand as well. And Houston picked up Mick Boyer from LA in a trade. Um, so they get some scrum half. They're actually quite deep at scrum half, but they get an experienced scrum half. I, I think Devet comes back. Yeah. What I would say is they've got a lot of scrum halves. Not sure that they've, they've any of them have really clicked. And I think, you know, it'd be interesting, Nick. I mean, Nick Nick Boy is versatile, right? So people have played mm-hmm. him on the wing, they play him at scrum half. Hopefully he gets a little bit of a run at scrum half because he's definitely a quality player. But interesting, you know, it tells you something about how Houston feels about their scrum half depth that they traded for a scrum half. Yeah, I, I think I'm... I'm, I'm... Quickly racking my brain. I think they've got five on the roster at the moment. Is, is not having is is having five scrum halves like not having a quarterback? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, pretty much. Is that, is it, yeah. yeah, I think you're right. Oh well, well that wraps it up, Pete. Any uh, any subscription reviews? Anything five? No, stars? no. I just I like well, you know, I'm like only an Apple person, so I just go to the uh, pod Apple podcast app and uh, um uh. No, no new reviews there. I don't do Spotify or Google Play or anything like that. Um, so yeah, Dan's doing a sad face. Can you leave reviews on Spotify? Like I'm, I'm really not good with this stuff. I should be. <laughs> There's a reason why no one's leaving reviews. We don't know how the system works. We've probably been ignoring them on Spotify. <laughs> it turns out, it turns out that like on the internet, you really need to know how the system works for it to be like for you to be able to work the system. But please. Um, if you haven't get left a review, please leave a review. Five stars um, helps people find us. Any comments, we'll call out. Uh, check out our Super Brew link in the show notes. Come and join us. Have some fun. Um, it's definitely easy to catch me up. It's definitely easy to catch um, Aaron up. Dan might be more difficult, but you know he's not as much fun. So um, you know, come come join us. And as Dan said, everyone join on the chat on Super Brew. Yes, maybe we can get some more comments in there. Uh, I am enjoying my time with Tech, so good dude. <laughs> That's good. We're just chatting. We're making fun of you and making fun of Aaron. It's been, been so I probably shouldn't have said anything because I could have just kept it with me and Tech. And now everyone's going to come in and see all the nasty things we've been saying. But that's okay. All right. I found I found a comment on Castbox, and this oh. is this is old, but um, from Flint Tex. Hopefully, you're still listening. Um, February 5th, 2019, like the pod, but you really need some good title music and better quality recording equipment. I think we fixed the recording equipment, but we definitely now have title music and um, the greatest intro montage ever, uh, courtesy of Dan Power. Right. Well, greatest montage ever is still Rocky Four training and Ivan Drago. So once we get into that ionosphere, that stratosphere, then we're... Then we're cooking. 
All right, for the professor, Pete Steinberg, our producer, Aaron Castro, I'm Dan Power. This has been the MLR Kickoff. Episode 84 of MLR Kickoff brought to you by shopmlr.com, powered by the Rugby Shop.